0: as an athlete like you're not really looking to rebuild a foundation it's kind of like every time I would get hurt I would go to the orthopedic office they'd be like okay this is your injury let's get you into surgery let's get you on this rehab program and then we'll get you out playing and for me I'm like okay that's great like every time I'm getting hurt I'm like all I have to do is hop on the table we'll get good like take some painkillers I'll go see Andrew then for two months then let's go play but like now, looking back on it, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. The time that they give you, the sessions that they give me with you guys, like that's not even enough mm-hmm. to to cover what's being done in the field throughout a season or like your entire career It's just not nearly enough time. And that's something that I wish I had known back then. Because yeah, like I would always leave the I would leave the training room, I'd leave your guys's place going to my season, thinking that I'm 100%. I'm like I just have to go in there do the mobs. You know, like I'll do the ball drops and I'll, I'm good to go. But yeah, without learning how to actually like position myself and stabilize and putting the time in. Cause it's really, it's not about doing the exercises that you're giving me when I'm with you. It's I got to take them home mm-hmm. and I got to get them done at night. And I got to figure out how to get a chin tuck in with the pelvic tilt and you know, get, get all of that together. And it's just something I learned a little too late but I, I am just fortunate that I did learn it at all.
1: This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the h l Movement Podcast. This year is already flying by. I don't know where these weeks are going, but it's already, we're wrapping up the end of February. So I hope everyone is doing really well. And thanks again for joining me for another week. If you haven't heard some of the previous episodes or older episodes, then check those out, listen in, and if you like anything that you hear on the podcast, please rate the podcast five stars and leave a helpful review for other people to find it. Let's jump into this week's episode. I have a fantastic guest Jensen Park with me on the podcast this week and he is a local product out of Iolani and he went on to play collegiately at University of Northern Colorado and played a couple years in the Colorado Rockies organization but listen in we've worked together with various injuries and even as of recent through COVID helping to do some training and keeping his body functioning optimally so that he can do all of the coaching and keeping his body fit to do all of the activities that he loves to do. This is a great episode for anybody that has gone through a series of injuries and how to take care of it not only when you're playing your sport but even life after your sport because you want to be able to do all of the things that you enjoy doing. There are a lot of great stories that Jensen shares, and there's tons of helpful information that will help everyone that's looking to elevate their performance. With that, let's jump straight into this week's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the h o Movement podcast. And I have a very exciting episode, who has a lot of experience in baseball and training and everything. And we've worked together for a few years during his off seasons and even beyond that through some injuries and rehab. But let's welcome Jensen Park to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, Jensen.
0: Yeah, of course, Andrew. Thank you for everything that you've done, from helping me through my rehab and all that, like being on here. I'm so happy to just be a part of all of this.
1: Yes. It's been a pleasure working with you. You're one of the athletes that really give 110% with everything that you're doing. doesn't matter if it's rehab, working out, training for baseball. And you're also very, very aware as to how you've recovered and how your body moves following injuries or training. And that's something that Every athlete is a little different, but I think that's one of the strengths that really help you to overcome some of the injuries that you've had. Before we get into all of the injuries, let's just start with your story. So your story, growing up, I'll let you fill in a lot of the gaps, but what was it like growing up? Did you always play baseball um, before high school too? And share a little bit about that.
0: So growing up, I actually played everything. My parents, when I was younger, they signed me up for like just about every sheet they could find. Like, I was in almost in basketball. Basketball at a point, swimming, gymnastics, like ten- tennis was a big one. I did that for a while and uh, I tried a little bit of everything was super fortunate. I got to play in a lot of different kinds of sports leagues and baseball is just the one that stuck. Uh, I was really kind of coming up in middle school. I was really getting into gymnastics and it was kind of like that, that time battle where you got like trying to go to gym in the mid afternoon and then catching like the end of baseball practice for little league. So it got to that point where I just had to pick one and baseball, yeah, baseball stuck.
1: Got it. I had no idea that you were in gymnastics. That probably helped you tremendously with just full body strength, I would imagine. What was that like growing up and joining gymnastics and all of that training?
0: Oh my God, gymnastics. I would totally recommend for parents who like are thinking about signing their kids up or wondering what to sign them up for. When I was doing gym when I was younger, it was probably the healthiest i ever felt. It was like the fastest I've ever been. Like Probably the smallest kid in my class. Like Coming up through Iolani, I was always the smallest in the class. But like, I always had power on the field. I've always felt the strongest. Yeah, gymnastics, I credit a of to my success in
1: sports. So when you're at that level, you, you stopped gymnastics at intermediate school?
0: Yeah, so it was, I think it was sixth, fifth or sixth grade. So I actually didn't get super deep into it. But even at the young levels because like you start real young right like six years old it's just like by from six years old by the time you're even ten like all the core strength you built up and that early sense of body awareness I always felt like I just had a like I had a foot up on all the competition and sports It was like when the coaches are giving me cues that do I actually like know how to get the barrel out front like I know how to position the body right
1: oh that's awesome that's awesome to hear but even at fifth or sixth grade, I'm assuming that you were doing decent level stuff, probably more things than most adults can do at that point. And <laughs> if you think about all of that, I mean, that makes so much sense, right? How it really helped you just to develop this awareness with movement and skills um, that translated to other sports and baseball. Now, besides gymnastics, I got to ask, I usually ask other athletes too, what was your other favorite sport growing up? besides baseball, of course, but what else did you really think and take a good look at? Like, Hey, maybe I'm going to play this like in high school or beyond.
0: So actually, one of the sports that I left out was surfing growing up. Uh, so I started surfing really late on uh, like seventh grade. I, one of my friends moving into the seventh grade was like a big time surfer. Like he was doing the same with Kyle and Yamakawa and he would do like the like, the pre-pipe trials and stuff like that, like, he, he was pretty big time. Yeah, so I would just take along with him, like, hit, I would hop in his mom's odyssey in the summertime, so he'd take us to the beach, and I just totally got hooked that summer. Like, I was just, like, so into surfing, is to the point where, like, I didn't even want to play baseball anymore, and, like, my parents were just, like, not super happy, but, <laughs> yeah, no, I was, like, so, like, surfing and baseball for a little while, there was, like, a little battle between the two.
1: Wow. That's, that's interesting to hear. And I mean, it's fitting, right? Because so many outdoor sports in Hawaii. So baseball makes sense, but also Hawaii is a big surfing state. So, you know, you got to surf and if you're around people that are very high level surfers, then it would make sense that you take a lot of interest in surfing too. It's interesting to talk to all of the athletes because for me, I'm a true believer, the more well-rounded you are as an athlete or just as a mover, right? The higher, levels you usually go in sports, um, you usually get a unique skill set that really helps you to make sense of how to actually get better and improve at certain sports. So it makes sense that you've tried almost everything underneath the sun. I mean, you even said tennis, right? Tennis, it probably developed a lot of the not only core strength, but also that shoulder strength for baseball. So it's interesting to hear kind of your journey. Let's start talking about when you got A little bit more serious into baseball so now you made this transition like okay i'm not going to do gymnastics as much and i'm going to start to do more baseball what was that journey like for you from intermediate school and how did that progress through the years yeah
0: coming through intermediate school i was always like i said really undersized so in seventh grade i was uh probably like me among two others like the smallest three on the team i didn't see any playing time as a seventh grader i was kind of just like us three every day we would carry like we were wheeling the water bottles to practice or like the big water the gatorade water jugs so that that was our role but i always loved it like i always loved baseball it was always a passion of mine uh my minus that little uh that little surfing period we talked about <laughs> but uh yeah no, it was something that i'd always loved and i wasn't always the most capable on the team like i know i always talk about how how well i can move how well i like uh, the body awareness that helped me through sports at the young, young age, but uh, I guess through that time I was just small to the point where it was hard for coaches to like look at me and actually play me, you know. Like even though I could move well, it's like oh, here's an athletic kid, but I was small to the point where it's like, you almost can't play him, you know.
1: No, that's something that I can actually really relate to because me growing up, I was always like one of the smallest kids growing up, and. For me personally, it really you really have to focus on the technique because I mean if you're you don't have the physical size then you have to make up for it some some way somehow right so it sounds like because you are able to improve technique and skills eventually it caught up because eventually you know you're gonna kind of grow into your frame and you know strength is gonna come in high school and everything so intermediate school was it competitive to you played for Iolani for intermediate
0: yeah intermediate that was all at Yolani.
1: got it it's is it pretty competitive even at the intermediate level
0: yeah it, so it was really competitive luckily at the intermediate level we had two teams, so it's like we had an older we kind of had like an eighth grade team and a seventh grade team but I think uh because me and my the other two teammates I was talking about because we were so small like we we made the numbers to make the team, but they put us on the older team, so we were like. Like maybe had like two innings in the field the whole season.
1: Got it. So after intermediate, how did that pan out? Did you, did you play JV? Yeah.
0: So after the intermediate season, um, as an eighth grader, I got put on the, like kind of the younger or weaker team. And that was like when I first had like my 600, like I hit 600 that year and the coaches were all like, okay, like this guy can play a little bit. And I started like working my way into the lineup from there.
1: And then when did the, because even now, everyone that knows you too, says that you can hit, you're definitely a strong player. And even when we train, right, your strength is something that you work really hard at. So when did you actually start to strengthen condition and actually take the strengthening side more seriously? What year was that for you?
0: Uh, so I guess unknowingly, just playing all the sports that I did when I was young, I was like, I was always fit. Like, I never had an off season. And I thought that helped me out so much just in terms of being competitive like, at an early age. Um, but as far as getting in the weight room, when I was a sophomore, so the first year I made the varsity team, I was lucky. I had a, I had an upperclassman, Kurt Yoshikawa, and he he kind of took me under his wing. And I was like, okay, like I, like, I really like this kid. He can swing it a little bit. I think he can help us. Like, we just got to make sure he's not walking into the season at 120 pounds. And yeah, I was really fortunate to have him. He kind of like taught me simple movements, like how to bench press, how to squat.
1: So you were on vars as a sophomore?
0: Yeah, so uh, as a sophomore, that was my first varsity season.
1: Got it. So, oh, what do we kind of skipped a little bit? So rewind a little bit. All growing up through intermediate school and then eventually JV and vars. what positions did you play and how did that kind of tune in or hone into your outfielder in college and beyond, right? So how did that, were you always an outfielder or did you play other positions?
0: So growing up, I was always an infielder. Like through Little League, I was a shortstop. And then even through JV at Iolani, I played the infield. So back then, I always, like, they had to take me out of the infield because I couldn't throw the ball straight to first base. Like I was one of those that couldn't throw straight. <laughs> so they had to move me to the outfield because I couldn't make routine plays. But looking at it now, it's like, I was always frustrated because I knew I could do the job. Like I knew I could put in the work, but it's like after the work, like after doing rehab with you guys and seeing just like the dysfunctions that I had in my body, I'm like, well, it's no wonder I couldn't throw the ball straight. Cause I like, I didn't have my core in line enough to like set my feet properly to direct myself in the right, like, you know, but that, that eventually put me into the outfield.
1: <laughs> got it. And then did you enjoy playing outfield once you got there?
0: Yeah, I did. Uh, I really, to me, as long as I got to hit, I wasn't like, as long as I was on the lineup card, I didn't really care where I played. I I was just a gamer, you know, I just wanted to be in there. I wanted to get at that.
1: And it sounds like, you know, from what I hear from others too, it sounds like really hitting is what you enjoy doing. So it doesn't matter where you are on the field, as long as you get to hit, that's really your passion for baseball.
0: Yeah, I, I was always a hitter. Yeah, like, I was always, like, aggressive and competitively, like, hitting's one of those difficult things in sports where, like, it's such a mind game, Mm -hmm. but at that, like, I think the way that I started playing baseball, I was just, like, kind of a space cadet. Like, I was so oblivious to, like, the game going on. Like, I never picked counts. I never, like, you know, I never, like, looked at the game as the chess match that it is. I, like, I think that really, really helped me in developing and just, like, I was free swinging all the time.
1: Yeah, that actually takes out some of the the complexity mentally because if you know it's good to pay attention to all of the the mental side of it, but if you overdo it, right, sometimes you become too hesitant. You it screws up your actual performance, right? So that's good that you are just playing the game and just free swinging and trying to hit the ball, you know, every single time. So this is this is interesting. Now going back to where we left off, so. Sophomore year, that's when you started to, this upperclassman, right? He started to help you in the weight room, uh, train in the off season a little bit more. One thing that, I mean, there's so many things that I think I really personally relate to that you're saying, because for me as a sophomore too, and I, I mean, I wasn't like, your elite baseball player, but I played baseball. For me, as a sophomore, I was probably around 120 pounds, so I can I can fully relate to that. And you know, what was that like going? You know, putting a full off season in the weight room, right? And then, what progress did you see in that one year?
0: Um. So yeah, as far as playing, I think the biggest thing from my weightlifting, like obviously, like you see, you see the increases in your feet. And like you see a little bit of like more velo coming out of your hand and off the bat. But really it's just like when you're feeling strong and you're feeling fit, the confidence that you have, the confidence that you get from just feeling like physically you can do the job. It, it just it takes your game to another level.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that strength component It does so much more beyond physically, you know, and you you just mentioned that too. I mean, mentally, you just know that, okay, you have more strength to actually carry out the tasks, throw the ball, hit the ball and everything. So when you actually put in that work in the weight room, what was it that you really enjoyed about the weight room side or the strength and conditioning side? Because that is completely different from baseball. Even though it translates to baseball, it's so different actually training in a different way now.
0: Yeah, so you you mean as far as like, the way that we're training now or like when I was in the weight room at that age
1: or when you were in the weight room at that age, I guess what were some of the big lessons that helped you to continue with the strength and conditioning?
0: Yeah. So again, seeing the increases and just like seeing the gains that you make, like that translate over to the field. Mm -hmm. It's like, once you feel that, it's like instantly you're hooked. You know, like you, you see that extra velo, you see the, the bat speed coming in. It's like, you can't get enough of it. It's like, you're, you're there, you want to be there every day and they can't pull you out of the weight room at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is true. And I think for a lot of high school athletes, once you find that drive and that motivation, because you're seeing it pay off on the field, that's really what helps us to get started in the strength and conditioning world. So now I'm assuming that you continued that throughout all the way to your senior year. So how was the rest of your high school career? What was that like? What were some of the big highlights from playing high school baseball? And, you know, how did that turn out to be in the next two years?
0: Yeah, so after getting into kind of the strength and conditioning side, I felt like what it did was it got me on par with the rest of the state. You know, it's like you kind of get in there, you see that you have what it takes. Like you see, say, okay, like I can play a little bit, like I can hang with them. And then once you're on par with them, it's like now you're back to competing. It's like, how do you get another edge? And, and from there, it's, like, the game, it gets a little more tricky because then you start having to learn, like, you have to learn the way that you're playing the game and pick apart the areas you can improve, know what you're doing well. Yeah, I guess uh, that's kind of why, like, I almost developed, like, a very, like, a one-track mind into, like, okay, I'm a hitter. Like, that's how I identified because, like, I wasn't very good at fielding. Like, I was super athletic, and I would make those great plays. You know, I was that player, but, like, I would, I would boot routine plays. And then so for me, like, if I could go back, I would totally, like, I wouldn't recommend that for players. It's like, you want to play your strengths, but at the same time, it's like, you got to make sure you're keeping up in all areas. It's like, once one gets neglected, like, you feel like you can put it off, or, you know, and like, you're going to get away with it. But where that area that you leave behind, like, it always comes back to bite you. And it happened in, like, you know what happens on the field, in the weight room, it's like not getting the core posture right. You know, it, it, it always comes back eventually.
1: Yes. And that is actually, that is very introspective that you shared that, that, you know, you knew what your strengths were, and then you may have overworked your strengths, but it did get you very far, right? But then how you said neglecting some of the weak spots, because no matter what it is that we're doing or working at, no one really, really enjoys working on the weaknesses, But I think it goes back to the first thing that you said is that once you see, when you work on something and it translates to your performance, then again, you're hooked, right? So I think that's a good message to all of the younger athletes, especially someone that's playing baseball, because it's such a, it's such a well-rounded sport, meaning that you need strength, you need power, but you need the fine-tuned skills. You know, you can't just have a cannon for an arm, but you can't hit any target within, you know, within 90 feet, right? Then it's like useless, all of that power. So you need to work on some of the really small details that help to translate to your performance in baseball. And I think for any athlete listening, whatever your sport is, try to work on everything to create a better balance so that you're more athletic and it translates to the field. And it sounds like later on, maybe we all kind of learned that a little bit more in depth, but later on, you kind of took that to heart And even now you work on all of these things that really tie into your whole body so that you can function as well as you possibly can. So that's, that's good to hear. I mean, now thinking about your vars years, was there anything that really helped you to play at the next level? Let's talk about that a little bit. You know, were you getting recruited? Did you know that you wanted to play at the next level in college? And how did that play out for you?
0: I always knew I wanted to play baseball as long as I could. Like I said, it was a passion of mine, and I was going to play baseball until they told me I couldn't anymore. But I was committed. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew, like, whatever chances I got, I was going to take. Or I was going to take. I think the thing that helped out a lot was uh, I went on uh, – not a lot, but, like, I went on a handful of, like, traveling teams where you'll go play – you'll go to the mainland and play in tournaments. And I know that's getting a lot bigger now, but back then it was – like, we maybe had, like, three, three or four teams throughout the state that were going up. And it was just fortunate that I – the Kamehameha coach, Vern Ramey, at the time, he uh, he asked me to come play with them. Through all of the recruiting and, like, sending out videos to all the different schools, it was just literally the time that I spent on Coach Vern's ABD team mm-hmm. in the mainland um, got me in front of, like, this one scout, Dan Cox, who I think for the time he was uh, scouting for the Braves, where, like, like, he couldn't get me into his school, but I did just enough that he liked me. You know, mm-hmm. like, I did just enough in the games where he's like, okay, I like this kid. And then so when I would go out to the other tournaments, like, obviously being undersized, it's just easy for coaches and scouts to overlook you. Mm-hmm. But, I, like, I had that one face in the crowd who was always like, like, when college coaches would come down, you know, like, he'd direct them my way. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's good. Like, these are all, like, here's all the good players. And we have coming up this year, like you should check this kid out. Like, he's got a good little swing, he's got nowhere to go. And I, yeah, I was just super fortunate that I got in front of the right eye at the right time.
1: That's where a lot of things is you know, just the timing of everything.
0: Like I said, super fortunate. Like, that kind of just all panned out because the coach for Northern Colorado, Carl Iwasaki, who's uh, actually turns out he's from Kaneohe. When I got up there, I found that out. <laughs> he was recruiting my uh, my college roommate, Ryan Yamane, to play shortstop for them Mm -hmm. and uh like through ryan's recruiting process it was just like i had dan cox again on my side like and he kept like he kept being like hey look he's got nowhere to play like just give him a shot let him walk on let him be a part part of the team there and yeah like i owe so much to him because that that's really what got my career started there that's how i ended up there and that was you know my that opportunity i was looking for to play division one baseball and i know it's not always going to work out that way but um for Obviously the families that can afford it and the people who can, so I, I would totally recommend just get out as much as you can. You want to, you know, get in front of the right people. Um, you never know who's out there. You know, They're like, I can't say it's like you go to this tournament you're going to get the looks, but as much as you can go, you know, you, you got to try to be out there. Yes.
1: Yeah, so that's a great message. Did you get any other schools that were, that showed interest?
0: From not not a lot actually. Like a couple division three schools in California, UH Hilo and HPU were actually the only two schools to actually offer me money. But it was just the opportunity to play D one in Colorado at the University of Northern Colorado. You know, that was a dream of mine. I wanted to play D one ball. And when it was there, I like it wasn't even a thought for me.
1: Yes. That's a great opportunity that you can't pass up. So now fast forwarding. So you played three years of Vars at Iolani. Uh, how, how did you guys do those three years, if you don't mind sharing?
0: Yeah, Iolani. So our, our my first year as a sophomore, um, I thought we were arguably the best team in the state. So mm-hmm. we had six out of our starting nine players, like eventually went to play D1 or pro baseball. Our pitching staff are, like were definitely part of that D1 crew. You know, like mm-hmm. they were all just like top caliber pitchers. But like, we could never win. Like, we would dominate the season, and then our first round in states, like, a young Moana Lua team took us out. But it was, like, a really good experience because I got to I got to play with Breland Almodova, J.R. Mm-hmm. um, both of them still playing professional baseball now. And so I think, like, just being around that kind of talent, mm-hmm. you know, like, having those, those bodies and those minds on the team, like, uh, very fortunately, we're also just very open, you know, very sharing and giving people that was definitely a big part of our development for me and all the younger players we had there.
1: How did that uh, play out your junior and senior year? Still, I mean, Iolani usually has a lot of talent on baseball, but how did how did you guys do those years?
0: So junior year and senior year, let's see. Oh, okay. <laughs> junior year and senior year. Totally underperformed both seasons. And it was like, again, like we didn't lose a whole lot. from a, It was kind of like we had a good amount of like, players that were sending off to college like a good amount of seniors every year that like wasn't enough that we should not have been competitive but like for like we just had the like a rough time we had a rough two years and you know we had good bodies we were always confident going into the season and it just could not catch a break you know it was kind of just it was like two years of bad breaks balls going like bouncing the wrong way and uh (laughs) Uh, that was my final two years at
1: U1. But well, you probably learned tremendously from from that. You know, just fighting through through the struggles, right? All athletes will tell you that everything is so much easier when you're winning. But of course, when you're not winning or it's not falling your way, then usually that's when you really start to learn more and develop as players, as a team, right? So, I mean, those struggles, it probably really helped you in the future. Now, once you graduated, Yolani, let's talk a little bit briefly about your career at Northern Colorado. So what was that like? Did you play immediately? What was your journey, your collegiate journey like uh, playing Division One baseball?
0: Yeah, so the journey was amazing. Like I said, I was just fortunate enough that Coach Carl and his staff took me on board to just have a fighting chance to make a team. And I met some of the greatest guys, you know, some huge parts of my life up there. Yeah, just the whole college experience for all any player who gets a chance to play collegiate baseball is just such a blessing. Totally a dream to just wake up in the morning. You know, you have way like just beautiful facilities in front of you. You know, you go to school like get your classes done. You got more baseball waiting for you as, yeah, as like a passionate young baseball player is absolutely just everything I could have hoped for coming up, getting onto a college campus and just seeing the lifestyle that they live because it's a grind, but it, it's totally worth it.
1: Yes. So at Colorado, how many years did you stay at Northern Colorado?
0: So I was at Northern Colorado for all four years.
1: Okay. So no redshirt year.
0: Yeah, actually, I was really fortunate to start as a freshman out there. Yeah, so the first, the first year I went up, I, I did really well. I had a good fall. Like, I hit the ball. And the coaches saw, like, okay, like, you can swing. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where, like, I wasn't sure if I was going to make the starting lineup. But, like, I knew I at least, like, put my name in the, in the running for it. And, yeah, opening day, just, you know, to see my name on the lineup card walking in there. It was a pretty special feeling.
1: Got it. So, what position... Did you play? Did you bounce around in the outfield, or did you have a set position?
0: Yeah, so I was a, uh, I was playing left field the whole season. Again, like not the greatest defender in the world. I was kind of, I was playing left field, you know.
1: No, that's that's good. But I'm sure, I'm sure that by that time you worked out the weaknesses. You know, you you got a lot better from high school, right? High school ball. And then you're up there, you're hitting, right? And everything. How did that transition play out for you? Was it a difficult transition going from ILH baseball to division one, or was it pretty seamless for you?
0: It's a big, uh, like the lifestyle and just how much baseball and how much work you you have to put in, Mm -hmm. you know, like being in your weights early in the morning, you're grinding through five or six classes. And then like, you know, you have to, you have maybe 20, 30 minutes to put some lunch down before you start practice. That was probably the toughest part, is just getting used to how fast-paced the schedule is. Yeah, just getting used to the daily curriculum. Playing-wise, it wasn't a huge jump, I guess, from high school, because Hawaii baseball is really competitive. So we got some good arms down here. It's like, you'll see a handful of guys touching 90 every year. So going up to play, even at a highly competitive school, at least you've seen those kinds of guys.
1: So now... Let's talk about some of the highlights of um, what conference is Northern Colorado in?
0: When we started, we were in the Great West Conference, okay. which is like a, it was like a really small Division One conference. Like, it was us. We were in kind of like a no-name conference with Chicago State, University of North Dakota, and a couple other schools you probably never heard of. And then the last few years I was there, was, we joined the WAC when the WAC kind of like mm-hmm. all the schools were switching around.
1: Got it. So what were some of the most memorable games for you? Um, Some of the teams or stadiums that you played at too, if you can share a little bit about that.
0: So at Northern Colorado, we had a really good relationship with the university of Nebraska, our head coach and their head coach. Like they're, they're always in touch and they were uh, good friends. So we went to play at Nebraska every year, which was insane. Like that thing was It was like a professional park, like the whole stadium. And I swear it was like people didn't go to work on game days. It's like the stadium was still packed on like a Tuesday at 12 o'clock.
1: That's crazy. So how how did you do in how did you guys uh fare in those games? How did you perform against Nebraska?
0: Most of the time we got smashed. So, So at Northern Colorado, you know, like we we were a competitive team, but A lot of the times when we would go away to play schools like Nebraska or those big name schools, like they would we weren't used to seeing the kind of caliber pitching as like their Mm -hmm. like their Friday or Saturday night guy. And then normally like they they would kinda it was almost like they'd catch us off guard. We weren't used to that pitching. They shut us down for Friday night and then uh, a lot of the times like we'd like scrap out a Sunday game, go home happy.
1: Well, that's good. You know, at least uh at least you guys Got competitive towards the end of the series. And, you know, it's still fun, though, playing in those environments and everything. So now moving on, I mean, you had a great four years, right? Um, We'll touch on the injuries in a second. Let's talk about the transition into the minor leagues now. Playing all four years at UNC, what was that transition like? Did you know that you were going to have an opportunity to possibly get drafted or play at the next level? Or how did that end up to actually end up with the Rockies organization?
0: Yeah, again, uh, what coaches always told me was, like, don't worry about trying to get picked up. Don't worry about, you know, what's going to happen after this. Your job right now is just do your job. You know, like, you're here now. You compete. You're going to help us win. Mm -hmm. And if you do well enough, if you're good enough, you'll be there. Mm -hmm. So I always tried to, like, not focus on that. Like, I didn't really, like, yeah, I mean, technically, you're not supposed to be, like, talking to scouts and stuff throughout this anyway but yeah no I was always just focused on the game we were playing and uh I had a our hitting coach at the time played for the Boston Red Sox when he was playing his pro bowl so he he knew some guys that were in scouting at the time and he would reach out and just tell them to take a look at me when my when my numbers were looking good and he was a huge part of me getting picked up like my coach was just like telling guys to like peek over at the right time see some good numbers when they're
1: good so as a hitter because that seems to be your specialty what were some of your best years in college? What were some of the numbers and what were you doing um, at the collegiate level hitting wise and share a little bit about that?
0: Uh, yeah. So two years, it was my sophomore year and my senior year. I think I broke the top 10 for banning average in the country. Yeah. I think a big part of that was just, I always focused on trying to make myself feel good throughout the season. Mm-hmm. So hitting it's such a mental game at the college level. It's like, you you're getting enough reps throughout the fall where like you, like, you know, your swing, you know, yourself, it's like everybody's putting in the same work mm-hmm. and then come season time, it's more about like who, who can stay confident throughout the season, like who can take care of themselves. So they're feeling good every day. And I feel like I always did a good job with that. Mm-hmm. Just like saying no to the Friday nights and everyone's, you know, everyone wants to go out and do things. They want to stay up late and, you know, just uh, being committed to the task at hand. I think, really was a, a big part of
1: that that's good to hear i mean just taking care of your body beyond physically but mentally too right was there anything that really helped you you know you are going to have these drop-offs or these you know hopefully not a long slump but when you got into those those slumps i guess was there anything that you did specifically to make you sh- make sure that you don't stay on there you pull yourself out and you get back on track
0: yeah you know uh I know for every player it's uh it's different, you know, it's whatever, hopefully guys learn themselves by that point where it's like, you kind of know where your reset button is so that there's always going to be the part in the season. It's a long season where you're going to feel like you're pressing. You're going to feel like everything, like body's heavy, mind's feeling the same. And for me, it was like, luckily I had a couple of different things. So I was really into just like getting outdoors. Like one of my, uh, one of my roommates uh, bought a boxer. So he had like this little puppy my senior year. So we would always go out and just luckily we're in Colorado so we could just enjoy the scenes. We could go for a drive out to the mountains. Yeah. But it. I guess it was not, it was not always the same for me. Like when I was a sophomore, the year I hit 400, mm-hmm. I remember the thing that put me in a good mental state and like, I'd, I, I wouldn't recommend this to players, but I was playing video games like every morning. So like, or every game day before we would get to the field, I would wake up an hour early. So like I'd get up at like six and like, one of my teammates got me hooked on call of duty for the year really so it was yeah like some some mini game in call of duty and i remember like that that hour of just like kind of like zen and out in the morning over a video games just kind of put me in a it put me in state of mind where i was ready to hit
1: <laughs> that's good i mean maybe it's the focus or something i don't know but that's interesting to hear like you know you got to have these times that it's it's just away from baseball because you're away, you're around baseball so much. So, you know, if you're around it too much, I'm sure it'll have a negative effect on your performance. So if you have these times that whether it's, you know, taking the puppy out, driving, enjoying the scenery, playing some video games, you know, having some time away, because like you said, it's a very long and grueling season. So now hitting was always your one of your strong suits. You know, you played and you had a successful career in college. Now let's talk about the transition. How did you end up with the Rockies and what was that like from your senior year being in the minor leagues the following year?
0: Yeah. So how I ended up with the Rockies was, uh, you know, like I always, I had put together some really good seasons statistically Mm. and I still wasn't really in contact with anybody. Like, like I had no organizations really reaching out to me, but we had a, one of our scouts, Mark Gustafson was in, uh, he was in Sacramento watching Sacramento shortstop Scotty Burcham. Because I think they were they were recruiting Scotty. And it just so happened the game that he came to, I hit a ball. Like, it's probably the farthest ball I ever hit. So Sac State's got, like, a four-story parking structure just past their left field fence. Yeah, it just so happened the day that the scout that was at the field watching Scotty play um, was at the same game where I just happened to run into, like, I ran into, there. there's, like, every once in a while, it's like, you'll just catch the ball right, you know? Like, you're not taking a hard swing. I was like, 0-2 or something. Ran into a fastball and I missed putting it on the structure by about five feet. And, uh, that was, uh, yeah, I was just lucky that I happened to run into the farthest ball of my life the day that I had a scout at the field watching. And then so, that was enough that once I did that, then they had a scout come over to Colorado to see me play in another game. And then, When they came down, so I'm not sure if it was Gus, actually, in Sacramento, but uh, Mark Gustafson, he came down in Greeley to watch me play that second game. And the the game that he came down to, I also went like three for four with a home run or something. So obviously, like the stats and everything I put up in college were great, but it's really like me ending up at the Rockies really just came down to I played good in two games
1: no that's I mean that's the thing the timing and everything and you know some things it's it's funny when you look back on your career or your journey it's funny how certain things had to line up at the right time for everything to play out how it did right and that's what it is I mean because who knows you know I mean Hopefully not, but who knows if, if those were just your average games, right? Who knows if the story would have played out different, but fortunately for you, it was, you know, two of your really good games performed really well, hitting really well. And I mean, that really helped to set, set up that platform to get further looks going into the, you know, graduating and going into the next season. So when did you actually find out about the Rockies? When did you sign? What was that experience like for you?
0: Yeah. So On draft day, we actually we had a summer ball game, so I was playing for a team from Greeley in the Colorado's Collegiate Summer League. Mm -hmm. And I was driving with two of my teammates to go get our pregame in. Like we were, we were just driving on our way to the field. And the first, like how we found out was we were just watching draft tracker. (laughs) So we were just watching the draft tracker on the phone, and I was like, man, like I don't know if I'm gonna get called, but like I sure hope so. And as we're pulling into the parking lot, it was just. 30 second round, like boom, we saw it pop up. And like I know for like highly sought after prospects, it's like 30 second rounds, not really what you're looking for on draft day. But for myself, like, I was pumped. <laughs> I was so pumped pulling into the parking lot. We were just like we are getting after it in the car. You know my me and my, <laughs> my teammate. And it That's was awesome. Yeah, such an unreal experience.
1: Yeah, that must be awesome. Working your whole life. And like you said, you you want to play baseball as long as possible until someone says you can't, right? So just to see your name pop up, all of the hard work, all of the dedication throughout the years, you know, is finally paying off. So what did you actually go into draft? And did someone call you or what does it, what was the experience like for you?
0: Yeah, so uh, I was, a uh, yeah, again, we were pulling pulling into one of our summer league games. We we saw it come up on the draft tracker and then probably about 30 seconds or a minute after we saw my name come up, um, I got a call from Sterling Monfort like, the Monfrey, like, they're big time in Colorado. Like, mm-hmm. feel like they own, like, everything. I had Sterling Mon- Monfrey call me and just tell me congratulations. He had come out, and, like, I'd met him at a time or two before that. It was just, yeah, the Colorado Rockies were just so great to me. Like, you know, being a late-round pick, going into their organization. It's like, I was always treated well, not like I was, like, someone who got picked last. Mm-hmm. And it gave me every opportunity to play. Like, they, they tried to give me as much playing time as they could good I always felt like and so like I, I watched to that organization it was just a totally first class experience all the way
1: that's good to hear I mean good to hear that your professional experience was they were very accommodating they helped they wanted to see you succeed and let's talk about that a little bit so you said you played around two seasons right what was that like transitioning into minor leagues what level were you at if you can share some of that and what was just the overall experience on the baseball field
0: Again, it's kind of like when you make that jump from high school into college ball, there's kind of like that gap in the play. It was the same way, especially coming from like kind of the when we got into the WAC those last two years, the level of play had gone down a lot. Like UH was out, like Fresno Mm -hmm. was out. And it was kind of a lot of the, like the small name unknown schools that were with us in the great West came back over with us into the WAC. So the jump was pretty big in terms of talent. But like I'll always tell players, no matter what the playing level that you're in, it's whatever kind of state, like, like you're the hitter that you are. You know how to get the barrel to the ball. If you can find a way to, like, keep that confidence and, you know, like, not change too much moving up levels, like, good hitters can be good hitters, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I think I showed that going in as a, you know, from a small, like, a smaller conference and coming in. And I hit well, I think, the first half of pro ball that first season. I was like, I made the all-star team coming in at, like, a four- 400 average or something not that I finished there but like uh, like midway through
1: that's good to hear and share with the other athletes too because sometimes you know you can get almost like psyched yourself out right like oh man this is a bigger stage you know I'm struggling and it can easily go downhill from there but if you have that same mindset keep putting in the work and you know you start to see it translate onto the field that's really what helps to increase your success right so playing at Colorado you know, going through all of these experiences. Now let's kind of come around a little bit more full circle and let's talk about the injuries. So explain a little bit about the injuries. You can either start in your professional career or you can either start (laughs) with some of the injuries if you've had anything throughout like high school and college that were significant that you want to share.
0: When I was younger, I was pretty clean. pretty clean coming up through like seventh grade. You know, I wasn't the kid in the class who like broke their femur in half or something like that. Like uh, I, I was healthy, like super fortunate all the way through the end of high school. I think I might've had a torn labrum somewhere mixed in there, but nothing serious. My first injury that was like, that really took me out, like took me out of playing time was a herniated disc in 2013 my my sophomore year at unc mm-hmm. and that was a yeah i had that one uh, i think i re my labrum at a point there was a point i think when i was coming in to see you guys that i was tearing my labor from before like every season and it was just like every time i would get back on my throwing program and that's why i say like, i always as a player it was extremely frustrating because i didn't know what was causing it and luckily i found you guys who could help me put the pieces together It was like, I had instabilities in my hips that were, you know, like kind of just moving up the chain. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't get things right up top and looking at it where I was. And it's amazing that I wasn't hurt more.
1: Unfortunately, well, I think a lot of your overall strength and how you train that really helped to prevent more significant injuries. But let's talk about, so your herniated disc, how did that, how did that start? How did you find out and what do you think caused the herniated disc in college?
0: So it was Christmas break of my sophomore year. So we all like, came home and I was lifting at Iolani, just trying to get my lifting regimen in four times a week or whatever it was at the time. And I was doing a warm-up set of back squat. I had the barbell up for a back squat and not very much weight at all. I had a 35-pound plate on each side. It was just a warm-up set. And -hmm. so on my warm-up set, maybe my third or fourth rep in, when I hit the bottom, I I felt pop in my lower back. And it was like, it was real subtle. Like, it kind of felt like just like a sensation. Kind of like if you like popped a, like you cracked your back, there was like a little pop. And then, but like, it was different, you know? Like, like I could feel something different with it. And I didn't think anything of it. But so I racked the weights and I tried to finish my workout. And then probably about three or four minutes later, it was like, I couldn't even walk. So that was when like, I didn't know what the delay was. Like that's the normal, like that happens. But after that point, like, I don't think I could walk for like two or three days. I was just bedridden. Yeah. Like I was just having crazy nerve pain down my legs. And it was, I think, yeah, like three days before I even got into the doctor's office. Two or two days, something like that.
1: Oh man, that's, and you know, it's typically with low back pain, it's usually not something that's super strenuous i mean obviously if you do something that is way beyond your capacity then you know you can hurt your lower back but i mean for me unfortunately too there has been instances where i've definitely tweaked my back where i couldn't move just like just like you you know it's not ideal but it's usually something that is very like it's not anything strenuous I mean, like for you, it was the warmup set, right? For other people, it, it's even common that you're doing just a daily task, but you're just reaching in the wrong way. Your core can't stabilize and you're maybe a little bit beyond your limits of mobility. And that's really what kind of gets those small muscles, your spine, to just get in a position where it can't stabilize. And then you have this chain reaction of everything just gets tight and splints you (laughs) because it's trying to protect your back and making sure that you're not going to injure yourself more. Right? So going through that back injury, how did that recovery go? Because if it was winter break, you're back up in a few weeks and getting ready for the season. So what was that like to correct or rehab that and then get ready for the season?
0: After the back injury, once I herniated the disc, it really—it wasn't really even like a rehab process because I couldn't lift, I couldn't practice. Um, I ended up getting epidural steroid shots, which are kind of like cortisone except less intense, I guess. So I had that, and once I had the shots, all the inflammation was gone. I was playing like normal, but obviously, like the dysfunction, like the instability that caused the herniated disc was gone as an athlete I'm like okay this is great like I can go out and just play my season everything's back to normal I just didn't realize at the time that that whole sophomore season where I put out that 400 average like I was just every game like, I was grinding myself down I was still in the weight room just working everything down that was a uh, yeah eventually I think all of, all of that extra stress without learning how to stabilize that that's eventually what took me out of sports completely that took me out of my baseball career
1: So now fast forwarding a little bit. So, I mean, you're still working out, still lifting, you know, doing what you thought would be best at the time, right? Keeping strong, staying active, you know, all of us, we don't know what we don't know, right? Going through that phase. I mean, I think every athlete has something that they look back in hindsight and says, Oh, maybe I should have attacked it a little differently to prolong their career or enhance their performance. But now fast forwarding a little bit. So, you kind of connected the dots. I mean, we were there to kind of assess you and then make you understand, like, okay, what areas you need to maybe focus on strengthening and how to strengthen it correctly or properly. Now, you connected the dots, like your hip and your core instability and how that kind of made your shoulder worse throughout the years. Explain that now, going through college and then even in your pro ball career, what led to you saying, "I need to get this surgery again and let's let's go from there
0: yeah as an athlete you're like you're not really looking to rebuild a foundation it's kind of like every time i would get hurt i would go to the orthopedic office they'd be like okay this is your injury let's get you into surgery let's get you on this rehab program and then we'll get you out playing Mm -hmm. and for me i'm like okay that's great like every time i'm getting hurt i'm like all i have to do is hop on the table we'll get good like take some painkillers I'll go see Andrew then for two months then let's go play. But like now looking back on it, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's like the time that they give you the sessions that they give me with you guys, like that's not even enough mm-hmm. to, to cover what's being done in the field throughout a season or like your entire career. It's not, it's just not nearly enough time. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I wish I had known back then. Cause yeah, like I would always leave the, I would leave the training room. I'd leave your guys's, Place, going to my season thinking that i'm 100 i'm like i just have to go in there do the mobs, you know like i'll do the ball drops and I'll, i'm good to go but yeah without learning how to actually like position myself and stabilize um and putting the time in because it's really it's not about doing the exercises that you're giving me when i'm with you it's i got to take them home mm-hmm. and i got to get them done at night and i got to figure out how to get a chin tuck in with a pelvic tilt and you know get get all of that together and it was just something I learned a little too late, but I, I am just fortunate that I did learn it at all.
1: And, you know, so oh, there's so many uh, good things that you shared there. And it's, it's through the years and the accumulation of all of the experiences that you've had through the rehab process, but really learning how all of these connections and what you kind of really said there is that you need to take all of the exercises and the understanding of your body to make sure that you continue that road to strengthen more, continue that road to maintain your function throughout the season. And that's something that for all athletes, I think when we're at the prime or the height of your career, when everything is going well, it kind of gets put on the back burner for a little bit because everything's going so well. It's like, I don't need to do all of this and you're just trying to do more and more and more. But for me, I get to see a lot of the athletes. Obviously, the earlier that we learn this, even for myself personally, the earlier that I learn more about how I need to take care of my body, the better off you are, because now you have more experience as to like how your body is going to respond to certain things and what you need to do to keep it functioning at the optimal capacity. So, I mean, just you saying all of that, it really speaks volumes and it's hopefully it can help you know, even one athlete listening to this, like, Hey, let me take care of my body so that I can play for a long time. But even beyond that, what you kind of shared was that you're so glad that you learned it even now, because a lot of athletes, we get so beat up putting ourselves and our body through all of the demands of sport that we kind of forget about the future. You know, like sports, it is a big part of your life. Don't get me wrong and it's a great part of your life too, but it's only a section of your life. And most athletes, unless you're in sports that you can play for a really long time, most athletes, there is a time frame and a duration that you are going to play at that competitive level. And you don't want to beat your body up so much that you can't enjoy time with your kids or your grandkids or doing the things to take care of yourself when you're, forties, fifties, sixties. So even for you just taking care of your body now, understanding how you need to move properly, doing all of those things for everyone out there, no matter if you're an athlete or not, it's very important that you do this at some point in your life so that you can actually live the lifestyle that you want without all of these aches, pains, ailments, and whatever comes with not taking care of your body. So anything that you want to share about that,
0: yeah that's huge as an athlete it's really hard to see past the goal of you making it to the top of whatever sport that you're at Mm -hmm. so wherever like whether you're a soccer player in high school or like you are in the minor leagues on that grind all you really see is like how do I be the best soccer player it's like how am I going to get that trophy how do I get paid but really it's once that point hits yeah like you have the rest of your life and even if you don't see it at the time, being able to share your sport with your children one day is going to be just as important, if not more meaningful. And thinking about longevity is just something I think, luckily today, that's not being so overlooked. I think it, you know, with information being everything being so available, uh, I think athletes are taking a lot better care of their bodies now. But at the same time, there are places where I'm seeing where I'm like, they're, they're still not getting it in you know and like especially at a young age it's almost like there's got to be ways where we can implement things not just to take care of us once we break down but you know like being able to buy in at an early age so you never have to deal with that is just as a productive solution totally wish i would have went that route you know
1: A lot of it too, is just education. You know, teaching the kids, if if it's a part of their program, their training regimen at a young age, like you said, it's something that they're going to take with them and it's going to stick because they're not going to know any other different way. But if it's neglected, then that's going to stick too. You know, they're not going to take care of themselves and everything. I want to touch on a few more things before before we let you go. So after all of that, I mean, taking care of your body now, you actually did get labrum surgery right on your throwing arm. And then this was actually through COVID. (laughs) So we did what we could at the facility. I was even doing some things to help you virtually online and luckily because you're so aware again with how you're moving all of the cues and everything. I mean, you got tremendous results. You started to feel the connection between your lower body and your shoulder, your core, your Mm -hmm. hip, and all of that started to tie in together. And it makes a lot more sense. I think when you start to experience it for yourself, right? Is there anything that you want to share about that experience going through the recovery process through COVID?
0: Yeah. So I had a couple of surgeries uh, on my right shoulder. I had a Tommy John in that same arm. That's right. And so I think the biggest thing for me to understand was the reason why I kept ending back in the surgeon's room was because I wasn't taking what you like. It was because of the way that I was processing the rehabilitation and like me getting back into workouts. I think this past surgery made me realize, okay, if I really want to get back to what I'm doing if I really wanna be able to live a physical lifestyle, I can't depend on them. Like mm-hmm. you you guys are gonna give me everything I need to know. But like me treating it like, okay, I just gotta see them for this many hours a day throughout the week and then, okay, that's it. Then I can go back to living whatever lifestyle I had. Understanding that I couldn't do that anymore was just probably the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Cause from the beginning, you guys are trying to tell me, like you gotta get the core in, you gotta make sure things are working together. And when I'm going to rehab, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know, I got it, like, I got figure it figured out. But like, once I actually started buying in, and like, it's the simple thing, you know, it's like not like working your way back to doing barbell squats. It's like, can you, can you actually do a hip bridge, like with with your glutes, your glute active, like being the majority of the. Sorry, help me out here. Like no, being the activation,
1: all in your glutes
0: yeah like being able to hold them with the right muscles mm-hmm. um being able to hold like simple postural positions. because i did not even know how to sit on the butt you know like i'm um, playing games in the afternoon getting on a bus like going god knows like sometimes like we had 16 hour bus rides to montana and like i just didn't even know how to get myself into a position that, that's going to like take the load off <laughs> that's why i think it's so amazing for you guys and the course that you guys built Like the second, like you guys were like in there, like, okay, you want to do this when you're sitting? I was like, wow, this is exactly what I needed.
1: And I completely forgot about the Tommy Johns because I think I'm seeing you do all of the things back to normal, but yes, all of these, (laughs) all of these injuries, you know, it was just telling, it was kind of like a check engine light, how I kind of explain it to Mm -hmm. athletes too. It's, It's like, this is not probably what's causing it but this is what got injured or this is what got damaged. So you got to repair that, of course, address the actual injury, but then you need to address the movement, what your capabilities are and everything. And it's good for you to hear, I mean, for you to share all of this because for everyone else, no matter what you're doing, whether it's practice, your sport, or just training, rehab, you need to take all of the information and apply it to everything else moving forward. It's not just a short-term section of your life. And I think for you really understanding that, that has made this rehab process and just even continuing how you're approaching strength and conditioning, it has made it so much more successful. And you are moving better, doing a lot more things. I'll let you talk about this a little bit more, but I mean, you're even throwing BP to your players, college guys, pro guys. Right. So explain how that is going right now, how your shoulder and body's feeling.
0: Yeah. You know, I guess first off, I have to say like, before I say anything else, like thank you so much for everything that you guys have done, Andrew, because I was at a point a year ago before my labrum surgery where like I wasn't convinced that I couldn't do that stuff anymore, but I was just so at loss to how I was going to find my way back. I had no idea how it was. I thought like coming back to the rehab process, like three or four times, whatever it was and like towards the end, it's like, I would always like keep a little more. It's like, I would be more on top of the arm care, and then I'll get more on top of the core stability work. Mm -hmm. And that still wasn't doing it. You know, It, it was but like for you guys hanging in there and like being with me every step of the way, like once my insurance, cuts my sessions with you guys like you guys still taking me in uh i i can't thank you guys enough for everything you've done and because i i feel amazing like again a year ago or when in 2018 when i got released from the rockies the thing that took me out of spring training that year was i had like this sharp just barking pain in my ankle that i, I woke up one morning and just couldn't get out of the hotel room and i, I know like the two of us we'd been working on my ankle mobility for like a kind of a small portion of time Mm -hmm. because for me it wasn't like the immediate pain that I was getting so I was just I I just had noticed it was kind of like there was like not like I was not flexible there was something in the way like structurally I couldn't get the mobility Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah understanding that everything's connected and I don't totally understand it all yet but learning how to do a plank the right way and getting my hips more into extension once my like once my lower core muscle started stabilizing by my hips, like my ankle mobility came back. And like, I remember that day where like, I I felt it. Like I got like that extra like quarter inch into extension and my ankle just like instantly is like five, 10 degrees. I was like, no way. Like, this is insane. (laughs) But yeah, like it's just understanding the process. And I think what makes, what makes understanding, how the body works and like how all the pieces are connected so hard is because like, you'll do the exercises for years. Some like in my case, it was years. I'm doing the core for years. I'm doing the the arm care for years. And it's just, you know, one day, you know, like you do it enough, like you hit it right. And it's like, that's the thing that, you know, puts all the pieces together.
1: Yes. No, that's really good to hear and good to share because Everyone's going to experience it a slightly different way, but everyone is going to have this one moment. It doesn't matter if it's throwing a baseball. It doesn't matter if it's doing your plank, doing shoulder exercises. There's this one moment that it clicks. And I I do want to share this. This is such a good message that you just talked about, because even for me, I mean, this is my professional career and there's so much that I don't know. No professional is going to know everything. I always say that. I always even kind of emphasize that like if in my entire career, I know 1% of what there is out there with strength and conditioning, rehab, nutrition, mental, sports, psychology, everything. Then I know a ton, you know, and that's just 1% out of all the information out there. And why I want to say this is because for me, this is like maybe almost a decade in since I first started like personal training long time ago, over a decade in already. So, but every day I'm still learning something new, either that I'm doing with my training regimen or how I'm helping someone like you. And that's every day. You're always going to have things that that clicked a little bit more. And for me, my full mindset is if I'm treating like the athletes or the injuries the same way that I did even six months ago, then it's like, I better change something up or figure out how to improve it because then I'm just staying static. So even for baseball, right, whatever you're practicing, improving, there's always that time that the light bulb goes off and it clicks and it's like, oh I needed to experience this so I can actually improve or implement this into my routine. And that's kind of what you're saying is like, you've been doing the planks for years, but just that one time that your hips got in the neutral position, you stabilized and you realized, hey, my ankle, it just loosened up. That restriction cleared up a little bit. Those are the things that I think athletes need to do more of. And I'm talking about even myself too as a professional and a recreational you know, athlete. Need to do more of focusing on those fine details that help to make those light bulbs go off.
0: Oh my God. Absolutely. Cause I, I can't, like I already said, as of coming through rehab, I was always just like, what can I do to get out of the rehab room and back <laughs> on the field? And every breakthrough I had wasn't from like, okay, I'm learning this new movement. I'm learning like, you know, like I'm putting an extra weight on, like I'm plateauing in a squat or something. It was like, oh my God, like you give me, you give me like a 60 second static lunge hold. (laughs) And like, I can feel my hip flexor lengthening. And at the end of that session, it's like, I can finally run after a year Mm -hmm. of not being able to get on my ankle. I can run after that. And it's just like those simple movements that nobody wants to do is where you're always going to find the biggest breakthroughs. But again, they're the hardest to do. (laughs)
1: Yes, they definitely are the hardest to do. Anyway, I thank you so much for coming on. I want to leave it off with you are doing a lot of coaching. You're helping a lot of the younger athletes using all of your experience, you know, to really be a positive role model and influence on them. Is there anything that you want to say about that and anything that you want to share or promote about all of the things that you're doing now, since you're recovered, you're not playing professional baseball, but what, what do you want to say about all of the things that you're doing in the near future?
0: Yeah. So right now um, I think with all of the breakthroughs that you've helped me understand with my body and helping me to experience a quality of life that I was unsure that I would ever have again um, is definitely something I want to share with people. So right now I'm kind of exploring if I want to do that, like if it's possible for me to do that through the route of a personal trainer or if I'm going to have to go back to school and like get, get some more knowledge in that way. But as far as yeah, like passing on what I know with baseball, um, I've, I've just been so fortunate with being where I have, you know, being in the right spot, having just the unbelievable amount of like wealth of knowledge through the Rockies and playing Div one ball and all that. I do want to share that. So I've been working with some kids and some hitting groups, like some younger players, mostly middle school, but I'm pretty open. Like if anybody wants to help, I'm more than happy to give it. Um, yeah, they can reach me at on my email, Coaching at Gmail. And yeah, like I, I'm happy to help any of the young motivated players that are trying to make it um i'd love to to give them whatever i have
1: That's awesome to hear. And I mean, everyone, you know, paying it forward. I think that's really how we can use all of our experiences to be a positive influence on the upcoming generation. But yes, I'll put your email in the show notes. So if anyone's interested in, you know, just even seeing what you do, what you're about. And I know everybody that's listening to this, if you want hitting lessons, you are definitely going to get hitting lessons and be a better hitter if if you hook up with Jensen. So I'll put all of that contact information. But overall, I mean, Thanks for sharing your story with all of the athletes. We always say this is that this is just the tip of the iceberg. We could easily do a series of episodes sharing your lessons that you've learned and everything, but we'll leave it at that for today. And thank you so much for joining me. Any last words?
0: Um, Nothing, Andrew. Again, just thank you guys for everything you've done. Uh, I I can't uh, express again, how much it means and how much extra time you guys have put in. Helping me throughout my career, trying to get me back on the field, you know, just doing everything to take care. I do I absolutely appreciate it all. So thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Awesome. No, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch up in the future for sure.